This is the FS Tech Podcast. There's never been a time when FS funds didn't have to deal with monitoring illicit employee communications. Every employee can make mistakes when it comes to compliance. With the introduction of ever more channels of communication, with new apps appearing seemingly every month, means there are more ways than ever for mishaps and malicious activity to fall under the radar. Welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, Content Editor of FS Tech. And today we're going to look at how FSIs are preserving and monitoring communications for compliance purposes. As a result of factors like transition to the hybrid workplace and the rise of retail investing applications. Organizations now need to sift through unprecedented volumes of metadata, pick up on signals which can indicate compliance infractions, particularly as evolving data protection and data privacy regulations in the UK, the US, and Europe mean that the pencil negatives of non-compliance are higher than ever before, both from a financial and from a regulatory standpoint. As a result, many firms are turning towards AI and machine learning to shift through their metadata and to pick up on valuable signals that can save their firms from potential disaster. To delve further into these challenges, as well as impossible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Sean Hurst, Principal Regulatory Advisor, and Dr. Kevin Keenan, Senior Director of Data Science at SMART. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. No, it's, it's really great you can spare the time uh, to be here today. Really appreciate it. To jump into the first question, this one's for Sean. So what would you say are the main compliance-related challenges uh, that firms are facing when it comes to monitoring their employees' communications data? Hi, Will. It's already been mentioned. You, you mentioned it in your introduction. There's a, there's a few challenges up front. Just the proliferation of communication channels out there. It, it really does seem like there's a new form of communication coming out almost daily, and that creates real challenges for for most firms. But when it comes to regulated firms, that is just something that might seem like an impossible task to to overcome. You have decentralized communication applications like WhatsApp today that not only are you and myself wanting to use, but clients of these regulated institutions are choosing to use that for forms of communication. We're going to, we're going to come on to a few interesting anecdotes or facts around who uses these sort of applications instead of things like emails a little bit later. But the fact is that people are choosing more and more to use these instant messaging applications, things like WhatsApp, and firms just aren't set up for that today. Now, not only they're not set up to capture these forms of information, but just the sheer amount of it that's coming through. We are spending our entire day communicating in some way or another. We're no longer just sending 20 emails in a day. It's just a constant stream of communication back and forth with things like WhatsApp, but more so with things like Teams, Webex, Zoom, you know, we're using these channels of communication end to end, you know, from the day out, from the time our day starts to the time that our day ends. And financial services firms, they, they need to equip their financial professionals with the agility to communicate to the clients through these channels that they prefer. But 
it does require the, the updates of the procedures, equipping the compliance teams with modern cloud-based technology for preserving and monitoring these channels. And I say cloud-based because there's only a, a certain number of ways that you can actually scale to, to the amount of content that is flowing back and forth every day. There are a lot of changes in the way that we communicate as well, not just with how we're communicating, but just the ways we communicate. Within a period of about an hour, you would have used maybe five or six different channels of communication and maybe with the same individual. You know, before this meeting started, I've communicated with Kevin uh, on a voice call. I've communicated with him through Teams, through an email, through document sharing, right? And that's, that's just with one individual through four different channels of communication. Now, keeping track of all that, keeping it in context, being able to actually go back and search through it if you need to do any supervision, surveillance against it. Those are some real challenges. And I'm sure we're going to cover off how we can actually meet some of those challenges because the technology is there to help these com companies out and uh, come up with a solution. Thanks for that, Sean. So moving on and, and linking very much into the last question, Kevin, could, could you talk about how new channels of communication can, can make it harder for firms to pick up and signals which indicate wrongdoing? Sure, thanks, Well, Yeah, so new uh, channels in communications are emerging with pretty high frequency these days, right? You know, we've got the big players in communication space, uh, Microsoft and, and companies like that with their Teams chat products, Outlook, uh, email communications products and things like that. Uh, and then you've got a, a plethora of other platforms uh, you know, you've got different parts of the organization uh, who focus on different ways of communicating. So you may have like the technology arm of your uh, your organization uh, really focused on uh, communication channels like Slack and, and these kinds of things uh, versus the business who are maybe on uh, tools like HipChat and, and all of these various different types of uh, communication platforms. And so what that represents when it comes to surveillance and uh, your ability uh, to detect uh, signals that are relevant to either regulatory breaches, uh, compliance issues, uh, conduct issues, is multiple different ways that people can communicate, right? So if you imagine if you're working within uh, a chat communication channel, the nature of your communication can be fundamentally different from the way that you would communicate through a more formal system. Again, this is like the kind of cultural sentiment that builds up around technology as well, which is really important. But like email is now seen as a much more formal way to communicate. And so the way the language is being used within uh, those different communication platforms can be fundamentally different and problematic for uh, surveillance systems, if not tuned properly. So as new platforms are introduced into the way that your organization communicates, it's really important that Number one, you're able to faithfully capture that communication. So making sure that as that communication occurs, uh, it can be ingested into your surveillance solution with the information intact. So you don't want to lose information through that process. The next hurdle then uh, with a new channel, uh, channel being added to your communications uh, would be testing how well your existing solution uh, performs on those communications, right? Uh, of course, you don't want to invest a bunch of effort in developing or tuning your system if it already works pretty well on this new channel, right? So uh, being able to, to really understand how your system works on new channels is important. 
Um, and then where you find deficiencies in the way your system currently works relative to that new channel, then it's important that you have a path forward on how you can tune that system to perform better, uh, to meet your requirements in, in terms of either your surveillance, your conduct, or your, your supervision use cases there. When it comes to the type of surveillance solution that you've got, the way you would do that is extremely difficult, so it, extremely different. So imagine if your system is a pattern-based uh, system, uh, the volume of new communications through that channel that you would have to uh, review to understand where your fail states are could be quite significant. Uh, if you're using a machine learning system, you need to make sure that the inputs that you derive out of that new channel uh, match the types of input that your machine learning system expects so that they can then effectively learn the patterns that you wanted to learn um, so that your surveillance is, is working as expected and, and to specifications. Thanks, Kevin. So I think we've outlined how these new channels can, you know, they bring benefits to organizations, they can also cause a lot of problems at the same time. But could you go into a little bit more detail about how machine learning and AI can, can help firms uh, better pick up on these indicators that are hidden within, within communications? Yeah, sure. So um, the main cha challenge with uh, traditional lexicon or pattern-based solutions for uh, identifying uh, signals of importance or relevance within communications is really the uh, the throughput problem, the information processing throughput problem. So for these pattern-based systems, for lexicon-based systems, you're really relying on the volume of information that humans can uh, can review to then derive optimized rules for detection, right? So when, when you're traditionally tuning a, a lexicon or, or a system, you'll and manually review examples of the types of things that you're uh, you're interested in, in capturing. Uh, you'll also then evaluate uh, the false positives that that system generates to then introduce additional rules to minimize the number of false positives that you're you're generating there. Uh, but that's all human eyes on, right? Um, which creates a bottleneck. If you if you try to imagine how many communications could one individual review in an eight-hour day. Um, like that comes out to be, you know, maybe a couple of hundred communications, maybe a few thousand if you're a, a superstar analyst, but that's certainly not representative of the entirety of the communications uh, that are constantly pinging around your organization. So Sean mentioned uh, like just this morning in the space of a, of a few hours, uh, he and I have communicated um, multiple times with each other, multiple messages. So you can just imagine how much of a bottleneck they kind of human in the loop process for learning these patterns uh, actually introduces. So what machine learning uh, then uh, and AI systems provide for you is, is a partial solution to this throughput, the information process and throughput problem. So what we can do is we can teach the machine uh, basically the, the kind of beginnings of an idea, right? So we can, we can come up with some sort of signal. We can figure out a way that we can we can represent that signal to the machine uh, through the communications. Um, and then we can just allow the machine to go and learn those rules for itself, right? That's, that's where the machine learning piece comes in here, uh, which then means that uh, number one, you can process much more data uh, through the machine, uh, which gives you better representation of the reality of how your communication uh, landscape actually looks. Um, and then the machine will effectively learn better ways to uh, represent the types of signals that you're you're interested in detecting. 
And so to just kind of illustrate the, the contrast between traditional lexicon systems versus uh, a machine learning based system, we recently at Smarsh uh, delivered uh, a replacement uh, solution uh, using our machine learning technology, uh, where we effectively wanted to replace uh, one of our, our tier one organization, tier one customers lexicon system. And simply by introducing the machine learning concept, we were able to increase the number of true positives that the that particular policy uh, was able to pick up by over 600%, while also then reducing the number of false positives uh, that the uh, surveillance system was generated by over 99%. And so this is, this is really the, the core benefit of machine learning in the surveillance and, and conduct and supervision use cases. Uh, it's really capturing more of the risk uh, with much less of the noise, right? And what that means then in operational terms is that you can now surveil much more effectively with machine learning while also then improving the overall cost effectiveness of your surveillance program. Yeah, exactly. When, you, when you've got so much data that needs monitoring, you need to, you need to think of things and what's the most cost effective? What's the easiest in terms of utilizing my human resources? Yeah, and, and machine learning really allows you to kind of offload a lot of the monotony of that process to the machine, right? So that so that the human intelligence can be utilized for the most effective and critical parts of the process rather than the mundane, right? Like let the machine do the mundane stuff, let the human do the stuff that humans are best at, right? That human level intelligence of really understanding what the risk relevance of a particular communication, or as Sean pointed out, a network of communications actually are right. So, moving on, uh, a question for you, Sean. So, as as a regulatory landscape um, is continuing to evolve, particularly in financial services, uh, what what do you feel are the most important data privacy considerations for for companies working across borders? Well, I mean, I'll take it from from two different angles. Number one is just I think everyone is aware that data privacy is top of mind you know even in america this has now been taken far more seriously there's always a perception i would say that that maybe data privacy wasn't thought of in the same way that countries like germany or well just the european union as a whole have considered it so we have gdpr that's been in place for a while now uh, already in america we have the ccpa which is is pretty robust and there, there are quite a few other statewide regulations uh, or directives that are coming through as well and personally i think it will most of these regulations will take a bit of a lead from gdpr it is kind of seen as uh, a leader in in the space when it comes to to these sort of directives now number one is just making sure that you're aware of what all these different directors and regulations are around data privacy for all the countries that you have staff and that you have clients. So awareness is number one, right? Make sure you understand what the implications are of, uh, of these different regulations. Now, number two, we've been talking about just how much content is out there, how much data is out there, how much communications is out there, and how much of that communication we're having to capture and surveil against. Now, if you're using a solution, a technology solution that maybe uh, was built in a time where, where data privacy wasn't as much of a concern, then you may need to just readdress and make sure that it has 
some basic functionality, but of course, looking towards some of the more um, more advanced functionality. So some of the basics, I would say things like roles-based access to limit access to the data, make sure that individuals are not able to just go into this platform where you have a plethora of communication that you could just go and definitely breach some of that data privacy. So limit the access to the data, protect this data as well. You have a responsibility under majority of data privacy law to protect that data, make sure that it, it won't get breached. Data privacy breaches get a lot of press exposure these days, and not only are you going to be causing some problems uh, internally, potentially with your staff, but you also risk, of course, reputational damage, and that can have a direct impact on your bottom line. So make sure you're protecting that data. Now, of course, that just means you need modern solutions to solve a modern problem like data privacy. So that, those would be my two takeaways. Make sure you understand what the data privacy laws are for all the regions that you have any sort of presence and make sure that you have tools in place that are, is able to protect that content, protect that data. And uh, I, th I think a third one is maybe, you know, just, just be ethical around how we look at this data. There's a lot of power in, in the, the tools that you know, companies like Smash provide, we're able to do the surveillance, you have uh, an impact on a lot of different communications, how you do that, how you use it, make sure that you're doing it in an ethical way. Yeah, and that's something I've gathered from a lot of the companies and firms I've been speaking to, that if you if you behave ethically, and you put ethics first, then generally, that end you end up uh, complying with regulation anyway if you're just taking a sensible approach which respects respects users right to data privacy and that can help you keep abreast um, as regulations are constantly evolving in all of these different jurisdictions absolutely and and we're going to see this more and more uh this concept of esg which is going to be something you're going to see a lot more um being mentioned when it comes to how companies are perceived, uh, ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So it's kind of, kind of a, a rating of how a, how a company is performing based on those three criteria. Governance is obviously something that financial institutions are very much aware of. But the environmental and the social, that's going to be picking up more and more. And that social aspect, that, that's, that's quite key when it comes to data privacy. How are people, how are people acting in terms of ethics? in terms of data privacy, in terms of just protecting the, the information that's out there. One more thing that I wanted to touch on, and I wanted to get both your opinions on, is um, how Generation Z and millennial workers uh, differ from older employees in terms of how they use communications channels. This is a fascinating area. It's something that, that I love uh, reading about and just seeing how it's evolved over time. There was a survey done in 2018 by Microsoft. Uh, I really enjoy this survey. And they looked at various things like you know, preferred communications, uh, communication channels. And what is interesting is it's not really a surprise, I would say, but what is interesting is Gen Z is looking at using chat applications first and foremost, right? Well, be, well before touching emails or even mobile messaging. Whereas not only baby boomers, Gen X, but also millennials have emails as the top of their list of what they would be using. Now, like I say, this is back in 2018, and we've had some significant events happen since then. And I think this maybe shifted things a little bit. But 
it just goes to show that you know each generation is going to have their preference in the way they communicate and that's normally based on what they used to what was around when they started using tools gen z grew up with with applications like teams uh being on every desktop uh like with whatsapp they they all grew up with a smartphone in their hand and that allows them to communicate in this instant way that they prefer now that creates real challenges and and kevin's already touched on this a little bit uh in 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 something that he previously said the way that you communicate in an email is somewhat formal uh compared to how you might message in in a teams chat which is going to be a bit more abbreviated you might have a few emojis in there you might have some things like a like or a thumbs up things like that that creates a real challenge for compliance teams today because lexicon based supervision rules that have been traditionally used since the advent of email uh, people are there's a lot of companies still using those old tools the problem is it can't account for some of the new types of technology that we have today. There's, there's quite a few financial firms that are still capturing data, never mind the surveillance or the supervision, but they're still capturing data in an email format. So they're taking Teams data and putting it into an email. The problem is you're losing context there and that creates a real issue. But even if they could have that context coming through, if you're still using lexicon-based supervision rules, how are you going to capture the context of what is being said? How do you know what, what a person is, is meaning? What's the intention of that message? And that is, is where it's a really fascinating area for myself and obviously for Kevin. Kevin does this day in and day out. But working with things like machine learning and AI to actually get that context and get the intention of those messages uh, that that's really interesting to me, but Kevin, I, I'm sure you have some insights on this as well. Yeah, like th this is uh, this is a, a real hot area of interest uh, from the kind of solution development perspective for for these problems, right? So, you know, uh, great products create a bit of stickiness with their users, and that's what potentially creates that kind of generational divergence in uh, basically the nature of of communications, right? Uh, and so my day job is to to understand first of all understand these kinds of patterns that can exist within communications data, um, and then identify potential risks around those patterns, uh, and then eventually develop this uh, the solutions to to those problems, both the risk and the actual uh, core analytic problem itself, right? And so ethics is a big part of this as well, right? Ethics is the driver. Uh, behind making sure that you equally represent risk within your solution uh, across these sort of potential generational divides that exist within communications, um, any other kind of cultural divides that can exist. You know, it's really important that your solution is as unbiased across those protected characteristics as possible, right? And so uh, just to provide a hypothetical situation whereby uh, a generational difference uh, could result in uh, the introduction of actual uh, corporate risk for for your organization, basically as a result of your intention to solve another type of risk, namely say conduct or something like that, right? And again, remember that that's like a whack-a-mole problem. Then, right? You've kind of you've solved risk. You've intended to solve risk in one area, 
but as a result of your solution to that risk, you've now introduced risk somewhere else. So, so imagine a, 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 an organization wherein you have uh, basically a generational correlation with different communication platforms, right? So, you know, you might assume that, you know, employees uh, who first emerged into the job market were really email was the only form of kind of uh, reactive communication. Uh, they've stuck with that as the, the kind of uh, core communication uh, media that they, they use. Whereas uh, more recent uh, employees into the, the workforce have uh, been exposed initially to more chat pl platforms and, and things like that, right? And, and now let's say that your, your surveillance solution was developed and tuned uh, a few years ago uh, before the emergence of new channels and, and all of that kind of stuff. The majority of the data that that system was trained on was email communications. So now you've got a system that is very well tuned to email communications. So that means that it's able to, uh, number one, identify risks efficiently through that, that uh, communication form with really high kind of uh, precision. So really detecting the things that, that you care about as an organization. But it doesn't do that so well on the newer forms of communication because it was never tuned to those newer forms of communication. Well, now you've actually got a, a, a bias in your system, right? Because those employees who have a tendency to communicate more through uh, email um, are, at, uh, are, are in a population uh, who are much more likely to be pinged for, uh, let's say, uh, a regulatory issue than uh, the generation who are more active on the chat channels, right? Uh, and these are things that we constantly need to stay ahead of. We need to be uh, forward thinking in our anticipation of potential risks that are uh, being introduced as a result of uh, divergent kind of cultural behavior and, and, and things like that. Uh, and make sure that our systems are both resilient to those differences, uh, but then not biased uh, on those, those differences as well, right? Um, to make sure that everyone is, is being exposed to this technology uh, in a fair and responsible and ethical way. So just one more thing I'd uh, like to touch on while we have, still have time. So moving beyond compliance, how can firms use data from employees' communications uh, to pick up on flaws within their organization more widely? Yeah, like th this is... This is a really exciting um, and interesting area that, that we're, we're constantly having kind of, you know, uh, lunchtime conversations around where we're hashing out the ethics, the, the, the technical challenges, all, all of these sorts of things. You know, we, we see firms talking about uh, leveraging employee communications, combining those communications with the unprecedented uh, surveillance capabilities that machine learning provides for you to then start to pivot towards different domains of application. So you can see uh, firms are interested in better understanding the culture of their organization uh, through communications whereby uh, they attempt to identify signals that correlate uh, with their conception of, say, positive culture versus negative culture and uh, all of these sorts of things. Um, similarly, you have firms who are really interested in understanding how they can gain operational efficiencies through better understanding uh, how their employees communicate with each other. So you can imagine, let's say, um, a, well, a well understood operational inefficiency is where you have 
like middle management who are much more focused on communicating ideas up the hierarchy rather than down the hierarchy where you know they they should be faithfully uh, representing the kind of corporate strategy down to the the teams who will actually then deliver the, against that strategy right so communications are a great way to be able to identify where you potentially have leaders uh, who communicate in that way, which potentially represents a, an operational inefficiency because, of course, the kind of corporate strategy doesn't percolate through the hierarchy efficiently uh, as a result of that style of, of, of management or leadership. And so what you can do then is potentially leverage your communications to first and foremost identify that pattern uh, and then come up with some kind of process to, to correct for uh, those behaviors that for your given organization represent operational inefficiencies. Uh, again, this area is rife with ethical concerns. The, the, the big focus in leveraging employee communications for, let's say, kind of uh, positive cultural change within your organization or positive operational change within your organization is, is really that kind of the, the ethics of doing so, right? You do, you do not want to leverage really powerful technology uh, to uh, basically drive change uh, where you really don't, uh, you haven't fully appreciated some of the risks that that might introduce. Uh, and just to kind of flesh that out a bit, let's say as a, as a corporate policy, uh, you, you decide that any form of aggressive communication is out of scope. Uh, and therefore, you want to try to correct for anyone who's communicating aggressively uh, with their colleagues, right? So that that on its face sounds like a, a perfectly valid corporate uh, policy that you might want to to kind of uh, roll out across uh, across your your employees. But now imagine, uh, say, where aggressive communication within certain cultures is potentially a form of social cohesion, right? So. You know, my personal background is from like Celtic cultures, where uh, this is actually uh, a common way that that people communicate with each other. You know, it's a, that kind of like fake aggression, which is really building solid social connections, which again have been shown to be extremely important uh, to positive corporate culture, right? Uh, and there, you've got a cultural difference um, that doesn't really mesh very well with your overall corporate policy. Uh, which could then result in unintended consequences, right? Where um, you're starting to get employees to behave in ways that potentially isn't natural for them. Uh, it impedes their ability to really make solid connections with their colleagues to then hopefully do effective work for, for your organization, right? So th this is an area where a lot of thought has to, has to go into uh, how solid the corporate policies actually are with respect to you know, the core human behavior the social psychology that you're you're tracking uh, and then eventually mapping those to your kind of corporate goals right no exactly kevin i agree wholeheartedly just looking at employee data from a compliance point of view is it sort of misses out on a lot of potential value that that exists there and a lot of potential use cases which might not even have been uncovered yet or might not be uncovered for many years it's um there's really a treasure trove of potential value there yeah, and the, the big challenge is that the, the technology is there, right? So it's it's relatively trivial to detect very kind of informative um, behavioral signals from communications, right? So 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 take take the state of uh, natural language processing technology today. Anyone can go to the internet 
uh, they can find a tutorial, they can download a model um, that was trained, say, for example, by Google or Facebook at a cost of millions of dollars, right? So this is, this is a machine learning model uh, that these companies, these big companies uh, will train purely for research purposes uh, and then release as open source uh, artifacts that anyone can download. So now at your fingertips, you've got a model uh, that has been trained on billions and billions of examples of human communication. Uh, it's learned a lot of uh, information from, uh, from those communications. And you can leverage that for many use cases, right? So you, you can easily uh, create a machine learning model leveraging that big open source model that you can then go and start to detect, let's say, anger in communications. You can go and start to detect discriminatory language in communications. So you can pull all of these signals out of your, out of your communications, but really it's how you use that information that's the hard bit, right? It's making sure that all of these signals are being used in a way that uh, basically conforms to the reality of the situation. You know, just because aggression is found in a communication, that doesn't necessarily mean that something bad is happening uh, with respect to your culture, your kind of regulatory uh, obligations, all of those sorts of things. So, so really it's about making sure that the, the, the signals that you can identify uh, are being used in a way um, that actually creates the corporate outcomes that you want uh, and doesn't introduce additional unintended consequences um, that, that you want to avoid there, right? So thanks for that, Kevin, and, and thanks, Sean. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation for listeners, and you've touched on a lot of points, which are really gaining a lot of traction within the financial services world at the moment. So yeah, uh, thanks for coming in the podcast. I really appreciate it. But just one more thing before before you nip off. If our listeners would like to learn more about Smash, where, where would you send them? If you want to find out anything else to do with Smash, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, just visit smash.com and uh, you'll find many resources in there. There's a, there's a lot of white papers and articles as well as ways to get in touch with us. Okay. Thanks again for coming on the podcast and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank Good you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.